0: Hi, I'm Jan and I'm Lynn. Welcome to the Lamplighters podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. We are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Psalms. Jan, last last week we took a look at communal laments, focusing our protests towards God. Mm -hmm. That whole lamenting thing was a challenge. And I suspect that this week could be a little difficult as well. So what can you do to ease our uneasiness around conflict and judgment today?
1: Yes, those are two of our favorite topics to talk about, right? Uh Uh, And I'm not sure actually that it's my job to ease our uneasiness Uh around these, but we can surely explore them together. And, you know... The Holy Spirit's been at work again last week's lesson on the lament of God's people sets up this week's lesson perfectly mm-hmm. um, the basic theme of both psalm 82 and 94 is God as the righteous and just judge who demonstrates his kingship by judging everyone who opposes him and who abuses his people and I want to be clear here we are now talking about the judgment of God right not people's judgment right That's not That's not our job. This is God's job, right? Um, These psalms, to me, reflect kind of the perennial question voiced by believers down through history, and that is, why do people do bad things and get away with it? Yeah. That's that's what the psalmist is asking. The problem for the Hebrews back then was their corrupt leadership. Mm. So both the king and the priests were abusing their power, And exploiting the weak and powerless. And this is still the issue around the world today where leaders do that. God identifies, as we know, with the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the orphan, the outcast, those who are helpless against the powers that be. They are closest to his heart. And he will judge those who mistreat and exploit them. He promises that. Yeah. I'm going to quote Jim Dennison here because he said something years ago that kind of has stuck with me. And and his comment was, God's holiness requires him to redeem all that he allows or causes.
0: That's comforting, isn't
1: it? It is comforting. It's kind of a, that is such a big thing for me. I can't wrap my head around it, but it is comforting. And that's basically what the psalmists are reaffirming. In these Psalms, that aspect of God's character and action. Mm -hmm. They trust that God is going to be true to Himself, Mm -hmm. as He always is, and that He will eventually judge justly.
0: Mm.
1: Now, if you're like me, uh, and I think probably most of us, God's judgment is something we really prefer not to think about. You know, as I said or we said in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, we'd rather focus on the God of joy and grace and love. Well, at least when we're
0: looking at judgment from a personal point of view, if he's judging someone else, we might not yeah, think of exactly. it that way. Yeah, we
1: don't way. care so much, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> well, I was startled into reframing my thoughts about God as Judge one year when Harold and I were the sponsors of a youth group at Blois Camp Meeting. We had a very lively and committed group of youth who were excellent leaders, and our job, basically, was to let them lead. Mm-hmm. Occasionally you know, interject and point them in the right direction or Mm -hmm. give them some wise guidance. But basically, it was their job to lead the group. So the first meeting was opened by the president of the youth group praying, Lord, come down and judge. Bring your holy fire and consume all the dross. Exact judgment on those who don't believe in you. And I kind of got chills. I mean, I thought to myself, man alive, only somebody who believes they are completely innocent and doesn't deserve God's judgment would ask for it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, it was very startling for me. So that year, Harold and I spent a lot of time emphasizing God's grace and frankly, a spirit of humility, because that's what it takes, right?
0: Yeah, you know I get it. <laughs> uh, when I was reading this lesson, I was immediately in that space of them versus us. Yeah. yeah. The problem, however, isn't that easy, and it's not that straightforward. You know, even though we don't automatically think we are above others, we can't always find someone who's worse than us to make us feel better, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to get ahead here, so what's
1: next? Yeah, well, that, that prayer was an assumption that he would never be subject to judgment. Yes. Right? Yes. But obviously, that prayer stayed with me, uh-huh. and I have come to see it in kind of a different light. Oh. Um, so think about this. If God were not judge, would there be a need for grace and mercy? Hmm. I know. And and even would we want to belong to a God who winked at evil and who no. didn't judge? No, no we. That's easy to answer, right? Yes. Yeah. We know inherently on some level that we need justice. Mm-hmm. We need someone to judge all that is bad. And unfair and evil, both in ourselves and in the world, and and as importantly, not just to judge it, but do something about it. Right, right. right. Ask any little kid. You have grandchildren. I bet oh, you've yes. heard this before. They have a very finely honed sense of what is fair and not fair. <laughs> right, yes, they do. And what I love about them is that they generally appeal to a higher power. In other words, they go to mom or dad. Right, you know, to make it right. Yeah. Well, it's it's the same for us. Now, fairness isn't the same as God's justice, okay? It's just our human approximation of that. But nonetheless, our hearts cry out for it. Mm-hmm. Like the psalmist, we want God to do something.
0: Mm.
1: Now, the thing we have to remember when we talk about God's judgment is the fact that he did do something. He did something on the cross.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Jesus suffered the fullness of God's holiness, righteousness, justice, and anger against the sin and brokenness that is inherent in each one of us. Mm. So on the cross, God judged all sin, death, evil, and injustice, and Jesus paid the penalty for all of those things. Mm-hmm. He subjected himself to the judgment of God. Mm. So we can cry out for judgment like the ancient Hebrews did because God has already judged. Yeah, We are declared not guilty because of what Christ did for us. And not only that, but he dressed us in his righteous robes so that God sees us as perfectly righteous in Christ. Okay. I realize I've started preaching, Lynn. <laughs> you better stop me. <laughs> no, don't stop. And I, and I want to add um, a thought that I had
0: to this. You know, God loves the poor and needy. That's how you open this mm-hmm. um, so much that when He sent His only Son, that's how He sent Him. Yeah, He sent Him as a poor, needy in in human form, not in God form. Um, you know, baby in a manger. He mm-hmm. didn't come as a righteous king. You know, even though He absolutely is one, mm-hmm. He came as a baby who needed to be cared for. You know, He lived His whole life not as a wealthy man, but Rather, as one who often didn't even have a place to lay his head or have food to eat without relying on others. And, and that's the form he was in when he showed us what it looks like to care for the poor and the needy.
1: Absolutely. And also how to trust God to provide for our needs. Yes. You know, um, okay, let's keep this great good news of the cross in mind as we read, as we read these Psalms, because... And as as the cartoonist one time said, we are they and they are us. Right. You know, um, verse eighty two is subtitled "Rescue the weak and needy." Well, aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Yes, we all are. And there's comfort in knowing that God judges justly and will judge those who treat others unfairly. Mm-hmm. All right. But lest we deflect the power of this psalm by identifying only with the weak and needy, which we all know are God's favorites, right? Mm-hmm. We need to remember that we are also the rulers whom God addresses in verses 2 through 7. Now, I can hear everybody thinking, I'm not a ruler. Mm -hmm. I'm not an earthly judge. We need to take a step back and look at our life and our relationships. God has given each of us a sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. In other words, our lives come into contact with and impact others. Mm -hmm. I love covenant's mission statement which is to encourage people to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. Mm-hmm. So, wherever you live, work, and play is your sphere of influence. Right. So, God has called each of us uniquely into these spaces for a reason. Mm-hmm. Now, as sons or daughters mm-hmm. of the Most High, we are called to use our power, and we all have it. It's economic, social, political relational capital uh, in service to others. We are called in our sphere of influence to live justly as a witness. And this is a way we participate in God's kingdom and his work of redemption. So we do this, fortunately, simply going about our daily lives in ways that glorify or magnify Mm -hmm. the Lord. So that makes it a little easier for me to grab hold of. Right, It's not such a big thing. It's just wherever we live and whatever we're doing. Right. Now, Psalm 94 also includes two cautions for us. Um, By way of background, just because I'm a background geek, Mm -hmm. the context is interesting. This psalm was probably written during the reign of wicked King Manasseh, Mm -hmm. who was infamous yeah. for tormenting and treating the faithful unjustly. He was so evil, in fact, that God blamed Manasseh for the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. That's a pretty heavy responsibility. It sure is. Yeah, if you want to read about it, you can read in 2 Kings, uh, chapters 21 through 24. Anyway, the placement in scripture of this psalm is also interesting because it interrupts the divine kingship psalms which are 93 through 99. And I thought that was really curious. I couldn't figure out what it was doing there because it was kind of off from the other Psalms. But maybe it's there just as a reminder that it is God who is the divine and eternal King. Hmm. I I don't know. But we can all be reminded of that often, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I I mentioned two cautions. The first one is in verse one, which says, the Lord is a God who avenges Now, that's a new title we haven't had, Mm -hmm. the God who avenges. What does that mean? So I took a page out of your book and went to the actual dictionary. To avenge means to uphold the law and give justice to those who have been wronged. So the God who avenges is upholding the law he himself created and gave to us. Mm -hmm. He's just upholding the law, Mm -hmm. right? It's not the same as vengeance, which we have talked about before being punishment uh, inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or wrong. So it's God's job to do both. We can avenge by mm-hmm. upholding God's law and God's word, mm-hmm. not in the way that God does, but we, we do have that responsibility. But we are never to seek vengeance. And it is so tempting for us to be both judge and jury. Yeah. But as we've said before, God reserves that right to sentence for himself, and we are repeatedly forbidden from seeking personal vengeance. God's very clear when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, there are a lot of really good reasons that God reserves that right for himself. First of all, he knows everything, Mm -hmm. even the thoughts of the people. So therefore, he knows what each person needs Mm -hmm. and deserves. Um. His emotion is not involved in his judgment, and Mm -hmm. we certainly cannot make that claim ever. So his judgment is judicial, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: upholding the law. It's not emotional, and his judgment is just. Mm -hmm. So that's when he's avenging, when he's upholding the law. But his vengeance is also just. It's always proportional, Mm -hmm. exactly right, and appropriate. And sometimes, and I find this an interesting thought, sometimes... Reaping what we sow, in other words, the natural consequences of our attitudes and actions and maybe inactions, can be a vehicle for God's judgment and vengeance, just Mm. letting us suffer the consequences of our choices that we've made. Yeah. But the whole point of this is it's it's tempting to take hold of something we have no right to. We need to leave it to God because he will always get it right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We can count on that. Yeah. Well,
0: I love that distinction that you made between avenge and revenge, because it really is as dramatic as night and day. You know, I think revenge is about making us feel better by indicting someone else. It's mm-hmm. about punishment. Oh, sure. And punishment is a penalty for something done in the past that is usually motivated by anger. It's something we feel that we can justify in some way as being an appropriate reaction, but it never is. Mm. You know, this reminds me of Laura's description a couple of weeks ago about God alone being righteous while we are (laughs) self-righteous. It's really a test of our faith to let God do what only He can do and what He does perfectly every single time. Mm -hmm. As you said, God knows each and every situation and more importantly, I think, the motivation behind that situation. So He alone knows what is just.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Okay, I said there were two cautions. Okay. The second one is don't misinterpret God. Now, what I mean by that? Right? Sometimes when we are suffering or we're in a mess or we find ourselves in a difficult spot, we think it's all our fault mm-hmm. because, after all, it's all about us, right? Right. But the truth may be, it may be our fault, but it may have nothing to do with us. Mm. Okay? So, we tend to misinterpret God when we think everything's about us. Right. It may not. However, God does use those times to discipline us, to teach us something. It certainly drives us to the Lord and to His Word, mm-hmm. and, and those times can turn us in a different direction. That's part of discipline, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Painful as those times may be, um, they can be used by God to mature us in the faith and to equip us with. Compassion and with love for other people. One of my least favorite uh, verses is in Hebrews 12, 6. He whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. <laughs> that, that sounds like something I would say to my children, and they wouldn't agree either. <laughs> but Psalm 94 also reassures us that God will not reject us. Mm. Even though he tests and he refines, he will never forsake us and he will grant us relief. Now, what I mean by that, Relief is that inward quietness in the face of outward troubles, in other words, you have peace even in the midst of whatever difficulty that you're going through right, and our hope is based on those promises, yeah, okay, so let's end psalm ninety four uh remembering that the psalmist recounts some consolations for god's people, uh, one is that he keeps his True children, firm in their faith, and supports them with his unfailing love. Mm -hmm. His ultimate consolation being Jesus, but his smaller consolations also reduce anxiety, and they bring joy. Mm -hmm. He is our fortress, our rock, our refuge. He's not going to shake. He's not going to change. And... He will bring the unfaithful into the judgment they deserve. We don't have to worry about that.
0: In his timing. I think that's what can tangle us up so In his timing
1: and in his way.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, these are the lessons that are often painful but necessary. You know, they're the mistakes that might be ours, but they might be someone else's that Mm -hmm. we will learn from. You know, I recently read that discipline is teaching and instruction from God's law. Ooh, that's good definition. Yeah. It said, Discipline is done in love in order to help us to be safe and to grow in our understanding of who we are in Christ. Hmm. And that's what God's judgment is. It's about discipline. It is correction, but it is correction that's not motivated by anger or emotion. It's motivated by his love for us. And it's future oriented. He is disciplining us because he wants us to do better going forward. Hmm. Um, In other words, it's a way to correct us so that we are, where we've strayed, we're moving back in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think indifference is the opposite of discipline, because if you're indifferent, Mm. you don't care enough to do anything about it. And God is never indifferent. He always disciplines because he always loves.
1: I I love the contrast you've drawn there, that discipline is future-oriented. Yeah. And punishment is past-oriented. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay.
0: Okay. So we've talked about God's judgment, but you have not mentioned conflict. <laughs> why did we put conflict in this title?
1: Uh, that is a good question. <laughs> and I have no idea. When I looked at that, I was very confused about it myself. So I was like, why in the world we did, did we do that? And what's funny about this, I am super conflict avoidance. Oh, me too. I mean, I'm like the worst. I will do anything possible, including running away, mm-hmm. to avoid confronting something, okay? And, and so I guess maybe I put that in here so I would have to confront it. But the funny thing I realize is we talk, I talked more about judgment than conflict. And I think conflict may be the more important topic. (laughs) Avoiding conflict, even in a podcast. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how in the world judgment and conflict, how do we get those two together? And it finally dawned on me that conflict is under all the judgment, right? There's conflict between unjust people who are using their power to exploit and the people who are being exploited. Mm, That's conflict. Yeah. There's conflict between these ungodly people and God, they think they're in, you know, they think they know everything. God doesn't care. or He's fine with them and Mm -hmm. they can safely ignore him. But, oh, no, there is a conflict there, right? Right, Because all sin is against God and he will not overlook forever the exploitation of those closest to his heart. Yeah. Okay. There can even be conflict between the godly, although I hate to use that term for us, the godly and God. Mm. And we see it with the psalmist where they say over and over again, how long, oh Lord, right. hurry up. Your people are hurting. Um, I find that fascinating. Anyway, I heard something in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, which is funny because, you know, I don't listen to podcasts. I was just going to say,
0: <laughs> has, would... has making a, doing a podcast caused you to actually listen to some podcasts? Uh,
1: <laughs> infrequently, okay. I will say. Even our own podcast, go <laughs> and, infrequently. Go ahead. But anyway, this, this thought struck me. And it reframed certain situations and people in my life. It really made me stop and think. And the comment was at the heart of all conflict is fear. Mm-hmm. The root of all conflict, whether within yourself or your relationship with God or your family, your friends, your church, politics, religion, foreign relations, whatever you can think of, right? The root of the conflict is fear. Mm-hmm. Now, that really challenged me because I say I trust God. Right. And if perfect love casts out all fear, mm. what excuse do I have, A, for having conflict, or B, certainly for avoiding it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really has made me, it's transforming me in the way I look at people and the events going on in my life. Anyway. No time for that. <laughs> I'm going to close with some, some of these things that the Psalms are calling us as post-believers to do. One is, love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love Him first. Mm-hmm. Then, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Love others. Yeah. My personal favorite, pray for your enemies. Because yeah. if you're praying for them, you have to leave vengeance and avenging up to the Lord. Yeah. And the last thing is, like all these psalmists, they are so patient. Yeah, The Lord will come, and His rule and reign will be forever. And that is an encouraging thought for us when we are experiencing conflict.
0: It's an encouraging thought, and it's also just such an important reminder, because I do think probably nine times out of ten, when I stop and see what I'm so agitated about, it's because I'm not being patient. Yeah. You know, I've asked God for something, and He hasn't. He hasn't granted my wish. Yeah, and done it the way you want to when you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. so, um, Mm. So that patience is a big one for me. Okay, so it looks like now is the time to leave our listeners with a question to think about. And I think what I want everyone to think about is going to take some real soul searching. And it may not be fun, but I think it will be worth it. So we've talked about how easy it can be to identify with those unjustly treated. But Hmm. what I want to think about is who, if anyone, am I treating unjustly? Oh, wow. Uh, And when you identify that, what do I need to do to change that? Mm -hmm. Is there someone I need to apologize to? Someone I need to help? Or maybe just someone I've been blind to that I need to walk alongside. Mm. And when you're doing this, if no one comes to mind, uh, maybe ask the Holy Spirit to give you a little nudge, and I bet someone will.
1: Oh, yeah. The Spirit loves to get involved in our lives. Yeah. Well, I've got a point to ponder as well. And I love this one because it has been transforming my perspective and been right-sizing me. So think of a conflict you have in your life. -hmm. It can be within yourself, with your family, you know, with God, whoever, whatever conflict you have in your life, think of that. And then if fear is at the heart of all conflict, and I suspect it is, what are you afraid of? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because when you identify that fear and Mm -hmm. state it out loud, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden your perspective changes you become more humble, you become more right-sized, and frequently you can see a way through yeah. that you couldn't see before. So think of a conflict you're having, and if fear is the heart of all conflict, what are you afraid of? Hmm. That will be um, An interesting not exercise. <laughs> not on either of these, but yeah. you know, that that's what we're called to yeah, do,
0: to, to become more Christ-like. That's right, that's yeah. right. Okay, well, we usually sign off with until next time, which is still going to be true, But next time won't be next week. So if you go to listen to the podcast next (laughs) week, don't panic. Um, We'll be back. Yeah, we'll be back. It will be our spring break here in Austin. So our next podcast will actually be posted in two weeks from today. So until then.